Hey, everybody. We are continuing our year of gratitude. And today I am incredibly grateful for this podcast review because it came from a precious sweet moment. So thank you to Julia Michael SLP, who gave us a five-star review and called this an incredible podcast. She said, hi, Michelle and Aaron. I absolutely love your podcast. My name is Julia and I'm an SLP. I met you back at Ash in New Orleans with my SLP mom. I listen to your podcast every week and even go back and listen to older episodes I haven't heard. I'm an early intervention SLP in Washington State. You have both inspired me so much to continue my lifelong journey of learning. Some of my passions you've helped me foster are around AAC, neurodiversity, floor time, pediatric feeding, parent coaching, counseling, and so much more. Thank you for filling my cup every week. Much love to you all and all that you do. Julia, this is literally why we do this thing, because we are all part of this beautiful village that's called to serve the least of these. And it is an honor. I'm going to cry because it was really nice to meet you in person. It was an honor to meet you and your mom. And it's an honor to put joy out there every week by highlighting all of these phenomenal guest speakers and researchers and expediting research to practice to make our village stronger. So thank you for your review, y'all. Thank you for going on this journey with us. And cheers to 1.4 million downloads that we reached last week. And thank you for being a part of this. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite. Fed, Fun, and Functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Culvertown, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. By way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields, or as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee byway of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig 
brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Okay, everybody. So today we're like continuing my 40th birthday celebration the entire month of March by surrounding this month with some of my favorite people. And I have the total joy, and I'm trying really hard not to cry, to introduce one of my dearest friends, Melissa Davis, MSCCC SLP. Melissa from Mississippi, as the boys call her. And she is a SLP soul sister, kindred spirit through and through. In truth, I don't remember how long ago you and I met. It was several years ago and it was at a conference and then we just clicked like peanut butter and jelly. And and she even came and visited me in Columbia and we sipped wine and giggled and laughed and cried and decided to change the world one advocacy event at a time and by raising incredibly good humans. I love you. So thank you for coming on. Also, I can tell you her and her crew really know how to throw down on a late night at Asha. So there was nothing quite like walking through Bourbon Street. (laughs) Good times. Good times. Also, on a side note, she's so meticulously planned every aspect of this recording. And then at the last possible minute, none of the speakers work. So I know y'all only get the audio and you can't see the video. But sweet Melissa from Mississippi is hunched over speaking into this speaker. And if you need ibuprofen after this recording, I apologize. So hi. <laughs> it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And, and thank you so much for having me. And you're going to make me cry because you're the more special to me than uh, maybe to you. And it's been a while since we met. It was one of your conferences. And I mean, just the moment you stepped out there and started talking, I just went, oh my goodness. Do we know each other? <laughs> Do we all know each other already? So I'm the blessed one. So thank you for having me. I'm just so glad to talk to you today. And yes, I'm even if I'm leaning over my desk, it's it's worth it. It's okay. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So now Melissa is actually about to become a generational SLP in her family because we have it on good authority that your daughter is planning to enter this profession. Yes, fingers crossed. She still goes into it. I'm praying. She's a junior in high school right now, so she said she's going to. So I'm going to keep that. Continues with that thought. I'll cross our fingers and say our prayers. <laughs> yes. Okay. So take us back from the beginning. What made you want to be an SLP? And then you went out on a limb and created your own private practice there in Mississippi. So, like, can you take us down that journey? I would be glad to. The coolest thing is, you know, I was back in college, you know, I don't remember, probably 19 years old. I went into a junior college and said, and just told my parents, I don't know what I want to major in. And I was reading the paper because, you know, back then we actually read the paper and stuff. You know, I'm that old, but I read an article of an SLP in a hospital that helped a child learn how to drink from a bottle. And I was fascinated and I ran in and told my dad, I said, I know what I want to do. I know what I want to do. And so funny, he's like, oh my goodness, I can see you doing that. Because he and my mom both said, I used to always try to correct, you know, or fine to the way I'm saying things. Like, you know, I would say Pischetti and they thought it was funny, but I would say, well, how do you say it? And, you know, even from like very early on, I did that. And then this one article really touched my heart. And now, you know, to go full circle and that's what I do is feeding, especially with itty-bitties. It's great. And I moved off to Tennessee, went to Middle Tennessee State in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 
and got my undergraduate there, then reconnected with the love of my life, my Adam Davis, you know, from church camp. And we got married, moved back to Mississippi, and I got my master's degree at Mississippi University for Women in Columbus and worked in rehab company for two rehab companies, actually, for about seven years. And I did early intervention in the homes. So that gives you such a phenomenal perspective of the real life, real life with kiddos. And I was so blessed to work alongside some phenomenal PTs and OTs and learn their trade because, you know, we had heard about them in grad school, but not truly learned what they did and how we need to work together. And so it's crucial. And so well, actually the PT that I worked with the longest time and then another OT, we are the ones who kind of, after working together for a while, we said, y'all, we, I wonder if people would come to us because some of the homes, I'll be honest, were getting a little bit dangerous and we were spending so much time on the road that it was just getting hard. Let's just say, I won't go into too many details on that, but we said, I wonder if anybody would come to us. And that was back in 2009 when we kind of just started really discussing it. And I opened up my own private practice, just myself, 2010. And here we are. I think I have 13 phenomenal employees now. And, you know, it's so funny to describe our company because we all three started out. Yes, we are kids therapy spot, but we kept our businesses separate. You know, I'm actually, you know, I have my own one for speech therapy. It's actually called speech therapy for kids, but that's mine. And so anything speech therapy related is to me. Then I have my cohorts. They have their own PT and OT businesses, but we're all under one umbrella. So that's kind of our thing. We started out in the homes and we, like I said, we saw the benefits of, like we say, interprofessional practice and how important it is and how beneficial it is for the children, of course, for us as therapists, whether it be, you know, to help with positioning and sensory and all the things that we know, but also for the families, because we kind of say we're a one-stop shop, you know, you come and you get all there and we've called ourselves the mom, mom and mom shop. Us, you know, it's just for a while, it was just the three of us. And then actually my very first employee yesterday was her 11 year work of grocery. So she's been with me for 11 years and she's my right hand. So it's just awesome to think back, you know, where it started. And I do, you know, attribute all those years of being in the homes, those you become a part of those, those families. And so when I'm doing things and even talking to my employees I have to remind everybody and myself of what these kids go home to and our expectations. We can't put too many you know, expectations on these children and these families that aren't realistic. You know, just because it's something that happens at our house does not mean it's happening at their house. And neither one of those is wrong. It's just different. And we have to think about that. So on the daily, we have to remind ourselves, that's one thing that, you know, I remind myself and like I said, and my employees on, okay, these are goals, but we really have to make sure that we're setting these goals to be realistic for this child. That's kind of my little story in a nutshell. And I'm blessed for every step of the way and super blessed for my PT and OT cohorts that, you know, we went into this together and we're still going strong. I think my favorite part is the mom, mom, and mom. (laughs) That's, yeah. yeah. I don't like to think that I'm everybody's mother, but somehow I end up becoming everybody's mother. And I've, now that I'm like, I mean, to be fair, it's January when we're recording this, but in like, by the time this is out, I'll have been had 40. <laughs> but like, now that I'm 40, I'm like, I'm old enough to be my intern's mothers. This is scary business, but 
you exude that level of love too, so that we're everybody's mothers. Yes. Okay. You mentioned something and it triggered a thought. Y'all, there's a really good book called the Early Childhood Coaching Handbook. I think it's in its second edition. It's by Dr. Dathan D. Rush. And then there's another really good one through Teens-Based Early Intervention, Supporting Young Children and Their Families by R.A. McWilliam. And those two books are absolutely phenomenal. I highly recommend those because what they do is they talk all about just what Melissa was talking about, caregiver coaching and how our job is to empower the caregivers. And we can't assume when we assume that what happens in our home happens in another home, or if we assume what happens in our home does not happen in another home, those are our hidden biases that just rear up every once in a while, right? And our caregivers may not just be mom and dad. Our caregivers can be all of the different professionals that are involved in that child's care in the course of their day, which is honestly a perfect unanticipated segue to what it is that we're talking about. Because what we're talking about today is a term called a PPEC. And if you're scratching your head like, what in the blue blaze is a PPEC? Do not fear. Because the first time Melissa asked me about a PPEC, I said, what the hell did you say? Because <laughs> I was like, I have no idea. But that's just it. Our world when we go through can be so small, but it's through interprofessional practice with our own colleagues that we see what colleagues in different states are going through and what is part of their normal. So what does a PPEC stand for? Okay, so a PPEC, and I've actually kind of sat down, I called one of the administrators of a PPEC. We're in three of them. And I said, I need for you to give me the technical definition because I didn't want to quote de- you know any definition incorrectly because I usually give layman's terms. So I'm going to give the technical term. First off, it's the PPEC stands for Physician Prescribed Pediatric Extended Care Unit. In layman's terms, it is a daycare for medically fragile children. And to kind of go back to when, you know, I'm saying in the homes, how, you know, we get a good perspective of the families. And one thing we saw is how exhausted families get. And the people I worked with so closely, Karen, I remember us dreaming one time going, I wish there was a daycare for medically fragile kids because these kids do not have that. These parents don't have that respite. They are struggling, going on all ends there. So finally, when we were back in, I think it was back in 2017, we uh, got contacted by um, one of them in Meridian, Mississippi, which is an hour and a half away. Did I say it was prescribed pediatric extended care? I think I said physician. Okay, so prescribed pediatric, yeah, sorry, prescribed. But anyway, so back in 2017, when we were already obviously in clinics and things like that, we got approached by a pediatric extended care in Meridian, Mississippi, and said, hey, do y'all want to come and contract therapy with us? And we went, what, like you did, well, you know, what's a PPEC? What's that? And so we researched it. And even Karen and I looked at our, each other and went, this is what we had talked about years ago. I mean, it's, this is a godsend for these children, for these families. Technical definition is, you know, the prescribed pediatric extended care facility is a center that provides physician-ordered multidisciplinary daycare to medically fragile and or technology-dependent children, infancy to age 21, 
who have complex medical, medical conditions requiring continual professional skilled nursing care. They provide care up to 10 hours a day. And when a child is admitted, an individualized plan of care is developed for each child, specific, you know, specifying the treatment plan necessary to accommodate the specific needs of the child. So all that being said, like I said, it's you know, a day facility for these medically fragile children that normal daycares would never touch. And I always say the teachers in these day facilities are nurses, which is beautiful. You know, these are Medicaid facilities. You have to have Medicaid. But it, like I said, it's beautiful because these parents, there's a lot of times they can't even leave these children with family members because most of the families, they don't feel comfortable or the the parents don't feel comfortable leaving them because if they have a, you know, a trach especially, but trach, G-tube, all the things that, you know, we're aware of and comfortable with, their families aren't even comfortable with them. So, you know, for them to be able to leave their children in the hands of nurses, and, you know, you can't get better than that, you know, and these nurses are on top of them. They're, they're rooms where their teachers slash nurses are in there with them and other children. So they're able to, you know, get around other children. Now, some of them have you know, depending on their complexities, they may not be on the floor with the other kids, but they're in the same room with them. So as we know, they're hearing them, they're smelling different things, they're seeing different things, they're being able to experience and a lot more things than they are at home. And parents are able to breathe. They can drop them off and breathe. And one great thing is these facilities offer transportation too. How is this not replicated? Like. What happens here now, they can travel a 30-mile radius, which is great. I mean, because, you know, some of these kids, they may live an hour away, but they can, and this is just in Mississippi, I think each state regulation is different. I do want to say that. But they can get like little drop-offs where they meet and pick up another couple kids in the same area. So parents can literally, you know, drop them off in their pajamas and go back home and breathe. Go home and take a nap. You know, when I was in the home, I remember this one mom looking at me and said, I really wish I could get a job. I really wish I could go to work. And I said, oh, mama. And she said, but I can't. I can't leave my baby with anybody. So, and then that gives her, you know, mixed feelings of guilt there. It's not like she wants to turn her child over to somebody, but she also just wants to breathe. And if that means going to work on her own and being able to trust that somebody's taking care of their child, it's just phenomenal. So, I mean, these facilities, I mean, they're truly a godsend, godsend. I mean, it, actually one of my employees, and she would not mind me telling you this, her child has many, many, many complex medical situations going on, and I'm going to try not to either. He goes to one here in, in Starkville, and she's actually treating there. She doesn't treat her own child, obviously, but she's able to see him whenever she goes over there to treat the other kids, and she's able to come to work, and she's able to breathe, knowing that her child's taken care of. And, you know, obviously with nursing, if anything emergency-wise happens, obviously they can provide medical care, but also, you know, also call an ambulance if they need to. And they're in town, so ambulances can get to them fairly quickly. So they contract. So these PPECs, one, I'm thinking in my head how we can like orchestrate this like nationally, but like I'm going to like squash that for a second because I really want you to meet my girlfriend Tessa because I feel like we need to have insight into how to replicate this in South Carolina. Like she emailed me like honest to God 30 minutes before we went to record 
out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, there is a sign here. So Tessa, if you're listening, this is Melissa, Melissa, Tessa. But when the children are in the PPEX, when they're there and they have the IEPs, the OT, PT, and SLPs consult out and come in. Do you know if there's, like here in South Carolina, we have a designated school for the deaf and the blind for birth to end of life care for services, but they have an actual physical school for three to 21, but they have like hearing impaired and vision impaired designated teachers that are there. Is that the same at a PPAC? Like, can they get a hearing impaired or vision impaired teacher there or consult? Okay, so what PPEX, obviously, I do not own one. You know, this is not me being the owner of one. You know, I contract out for them. But they provide, like without having to contract out, they provide, obviously, the nursing care and the transportation. They contract out STOTPT and respiratory therapist and nutritionist on staff. I'm not on staff. They're not present. But like, you know, you know I had to call one in, I guess, a couple months ago with a kiddo that I really needed her help. And she came over and, you know, met with the child. We looked at their clinic care and everything. But the biggest thing is they will contract all these necessary things out. I know that they contract out teachers. And because a lot of these kids cannot, you know, attend, quote, you know, normal school. However, they are able to have some teachers come there. And I know that there has been a vision specialists come there too, the one in Meridian. And, you know, when it comes to transportation, going back to that, some of these kids do are able to go, if they're, you know, health-wise able to go to school, they can pick them up from school and bring them back. So like if they go to school a half day, then, you know, like, because we want kiddos to have that, you know, obviously inclusion, we want them to have the school experience, you know, pick them up around lunchtime, come back home. And if they, I mean, I'm sorry, come back to the center, if they need to get their tubes, you know, their, their feeding started, their medicines in, they can come here and parents don't have to go pick them up. They go pick them up from school and bring them to the facility. So it's beautiful. So, um, but they do have different teachers coming in and out. So I, I'm not sure. It doesn't say that, that there's a specific vision specialist But if it's included in the IEP, then I would assume they would have access to, yes, but this is just getting it worked out. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. (laughs) I told you they're beautiful places. They're beautiful, beautiful places. And and the fact that this isn't replicated everywhere is just mind blowing. Okay. So folks, Mississippi gets a bad rap, but let's review. We have PPEX in Mississippi and then, um, Missy Schrader was on from Mississippi talking about the DeBard school that's down there. So, I mean, and they're like breaking ground for dyslexia and speech sound disorder um, literacy acquisition. So, uh, I mean, let's not pick on Mississippi, although Bear loves singing the Mississippi song because he's like, he's like, I know how to spell her state now. (laughs) Also, Bear, like, he's so in love with Miss Melissa that like she went home with like all the origami swans that are like. And I love it. It makes my day because they're sitting right in front of me right now. So I just send you a picture so you can give it to them. But yes, we do get a bad rap sometimes. I didn't realize that we were, you know, we were, that y'all didn't, you know, PPEX weren't everywhere. You know, that. And but again, I didn't hear from about them until 2017. So I don't even know how long they've been out. I don't know which states they are in. Maybe I should have researched that prior to talking. But um they're phenomenal. I mean, to have nursing into the day facility, it's just, again, it's an answer to prayers for so many children. And and two, I mean, when we're talking about the benefits, 
I mean, there, there's so many things that, you know, I can't even list. Uh, do you want me to go into benefits? Because I'd love to go into that. You want me to yes. Yeah, honey, you, you take the lead here. Perfect. Okay. So obviously, I know we're sitting here talking about how wonderful PPEX are. And, um, you know, I right now, obviously, I do treat in my a couple of my clinics. But um, when it comes to PPEX, I'm consulting with my employees. They are mainly with the feeding kids. So I reached out to them and I said, okay, ladies, and I'm going to give a shout out to um, to Leslie and to Jasmine and to Susie and to Rachel and to Erin. They are outstanding. I hope I did not, did not forget anybody. No. So um, they, they, they are phenomenal. And I reached out to them and said, okay, let's all sit down and let's make some, make a list of things when it comes to benefits of PPEX. And this was so fun because I mean, you know, we do it on text and it was like, you know, just all of the text starting to come through. And of my, 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 I'm just smiling and and just going, this is the beautiful thing there. I mean, it just, they are outstanding. They are outstanding there. But some of them that we were talking about, obviously, when we were talking about, you know, with nurses on staff, one of the first and, um, you know, the main things that my girls were saying is they're there for emergencies. You know, as we all know, we have a lot of kiddos who have seizure disorder. We have you know, when it comes to, um, you know, if there's aspiration precautions, all the things that, you know, when you're in the field, you know what to look for, you know how to handle it, or I hope everybody knows how to handle it. But to have nursing there, oh, okay. That makes Especially you with better. suctioning if they need it. Yes. 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 Suctioning by far. And it's like a trait, kiddo. I mean, it's, it's great. Now, you know, I had to, you know, I'm kind of reverting back, you know, once I went into the, the home health situation, it's one of the first things that was thrown out at me is Miss Mama handed me um, a, uh, you know, a, a suction and said, here you go. And I went, what? I didn't know what she was doing. So now, obviously, I can, with parents, when they hand it to me, you know, every single person is different on suctioning. But to have nursing there to help is outstanding. I mean, they just are present for emergencies. They're there for carryover is outstanding. You know, it's it's like talking to a parent, you know, as we tell parents, these are the things that we need to be done at home. Um, but we can tell these these ladies, because again, they're mainly ladies. I haven't had any male nurses in the PPEX just yet. It's kind of like with the therapy world. We don't have any males here working with this with us, but it's not because we don't want them, <laughs> you know, so. They just haven't made it that far. So if you're a male SLP, may I highly recommend Starkville, Mississippi. <laughs> no, no, come on, because these kids love it when, you know, we have like interns come. They love it when there's a man there. They will work and do all kind of things. So come on, man, you can work in, work in the pediatric world. It's, it's fun. You know, we, we, we have a blast, but, but, um, but we are able to, you know, get with these nurses and tell them, okay, these are the things that we're doing during the day while you're with them. Let's incorporate those into what we're doing. You know, whether it comes to one thing that's a challenge is they have to have specific doctor's orders. Obviously, everything they do there is per doctor's orders. So if it's in the, the feeding world, we can make it, you know, we can make suggestions but we have to do a lot of, we have to get the doctor's orders changed to, you know, if we're, if we're changing, you know, the thick, you know, thickness, liquid thickness or changing foods, we have to put that in doctor's orders, basically. But that's why we engage in interprofessional education to understand the roles and responsibilities of all of the IPP team members 
to then engage in interprofessional practice so that you go into a PPAC and you're prepared for, hey, this patient needs to be on a tapered weaning protocol or whatever, but you can, you know how to hold the conversation. So problem, solution, yay. You know, one of the challenges we were talking about is we don't get to see the parents as much. However, it's so great because, you know, in this little, you know, I'd say rural, that's such a hard word to say, community, it's, we don't get a lot of this big, huge team of, we need the speech pathologist and the nutritionist and the, um, all, you know, all the doctors, GI, all onto a team. We aren't able to do that, I'll be honest, you know, to be able to communicate as well. Now, that's a goal of mine. I want to be able to do that. But, you know, our children's hospitals are hours away, so we have to make phone calls. But with this, it's pretty great because when we, um, we can call team meetings there. So let's say there's a kiddo. Yeah. So, I mean, we can walk hand in hand through difficult situations. A lot of times we've had to really be um, in, super involved, obviously, when it comes time to we know a kiddo needs a feeding tube. And, and parents are not wanting it at all. You know, so, but we have to sit them down, hold their hands and tell them how wonderful a feeding tube can be. And, and sit down as a team and go, here's the deal. And when we sit down with the administrator, the nurses, the um, OT, PT, ST, um, if there's an educator on staff, I mean, we will all sit down and talk about the benefits. And obviously the parent is in the, the, you know, the center. And we will all almost kind of kumbaya hold hands and say, it's okay. You know, we're, we're here. We're your team. Your child needs this. Your child's going to thrive when he or she gets this. There may be some bumps along the way, but we're going to hold your hand. And I know it's a scary thing, but we're here for you. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so, that, you know, one of my girls and I was talking to her, she said, that's one of the most fantastic things when it comes to we take a challenge and then, you know, of, of not being able to communicate with the parents and then make that a, a benefit because we can then sit down and go, look at this team, you know. Nothing's better than a parent looking out and going, these are my people. You know, they, they have my back. So it, it's outstanding. And I mean, like I said, you know, I have one of my girls, Susie, you know, she she's being able to give both perspectives of parent and therapist. And she can't say enough good things about it because she has a team. You know, when her son has something that happens, she has people she can call. She can sit down with people and we all just kind of go, okay, it's going to be okay. You know, let's, let's, you know, let's figure this out together. So she's not only a phenomenal speech pathologist, but she's a parent that can give perspective on that side of the world. So. But that, what you just did, what that model is where they put the caregiver at the core of the team. And that's what we should be doing. And that's, and that can be so hard. And one of the drawbacks I find with doing home health therapy is that, yes, I'm in the home, which gives me so much more personal, intimate insight as to like the daily needs of this family, like where they really are and like Maslow's hierarchical need. But at the same time, we don't get the luxury of all being in the same place. And it's really, really hard when you're on a home health team to get OTPT speech and, you know, they're in the same room. And oftentimes, at least, I mean, from what I've seen here in South Carolina, the only way we can truly get um, nursing in the home is they they have to have two profound medical needs. 
So you could have a child that has a diagnosis and a feeding tube, but having a genetic diagnosis and a feeding tube in and of itself may not be sufficient enough to get a, um, a nurse to um, grace your threshold. And the parents just burn out. And I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned the, the nursing in the home because they can still, a lot of parents I think think, because this is skilled nursing, obviously, they actually can get, still get nursing in the home and in addition to the PPEX. But I do say that it's, it's different with every child. It's different with the complexities of their diagnoses because they, you know, the, the, obviously the more complex the diagnosis, the the more care they can they will receive because again insurance has to approve all of this which again is a a struggle as we know but um, I know many kids who are getting PPEC nursing and they get home nursing so they, these parents are completely supported and loved and cared for with all of this this care but it has to be approved by, by insurance obviously and but it's again it's it's going by how much need they need um, they require. So if they need more oxygen, they need more, you know, if there's different diagnoses, you know, medicines, tube feedings, all the things, then obviously they'll require, I mean, they'll, they'll um, be allowed more nursing. So. Uh, um, I have a quick question, but um, I, Aaron says to tell you hi. Erin, it was all caps. Tell her hi. <laughs> so, I hope she's doing fantastic. Oh, yes, currently she's boxing her entire apartment to move to Cincinnati, but folks, just pretend it's not January. <laughs> oh, man. I bet she's boxing and crying. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes. Please hold her down for me. Yes. Okay. So we, we, we try to make it authentic and real here, folks. This is, this is what you get in the world of <laughs> speech therapy. Okay. No, wait, I have a technical question. When you guys are signing on to like contract, one, I do kind of want to know how you actually like branched out to contract into the PPAC. But then my next thought is when you're writing the IEP to get the services, do you actually have the ability to write feeding goals on the IEP? Because like this is amazing. Yes. Oh, yes. So, yes, like I said, um, when it comes to how we got into these facilities, like I said, in 2017, the the wonderful PPEC and Meridian contacted us and they um, first off, we said, how do we even do this? You know, so it's basically whenever we go for um credentialing and all the insurance stuff, it's an additional ad address because we're basically essentially renting a room there in their facility to um, provide the therapy. So they contract with us. We treat there, but um, it's still our therapists. And so we have, obviously, we're, we're in three different places. I never said that. We're in Meridian and then we're one in Columbus, which is um, about 30 minutes from where I am now because we have outpatient clinics here in Starkville, Mississippi and Columbus, Mississippi. And so now we're providing um, uh, therapy in PPEX in Columbus and in Starkville. So um, that's how wonderful they are. Early 2017 was uh, Meridian. Then later 2017 was uh, Columbus. And then Starkville opened up in 2019. Um, but to answer your question about goals and things, yes, we get a referral. We still get our referrals. Each child that's admitted, we will, um, to that facility, we will evaluate whenever we get specific orders. Um, it'll still be doctor's orders the way that they, they send them to, to us here at the clinic on, you know, to evaluate and treat as indicated. 
We go in there, we do our evaluation and set goals. Now, of course, just like with any other kiddos, we're looking at, you know, have we had our modified barium swallow? What's, you know, what is the recommendation for feeding right now? If we need to recommend one, if they haven't had one yet, we still go through all those things and then work hand in hand with the nurses um, and doctors to get the appropriate orders written for that child. So um, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of function when it comes to therapy and how the therapy, you know, everything kind of flows. It's like the same as clinic when it comes to paperwork and all those kind of things on, on setting goals and, and um, advancing. But there we do have to have specifics on the orders on, okay, we're advancing textures, we're advancing that, then we need to get that through the doctor. So we're just kind of up, updating clinic cares and, and progress notes and all that sort of stuff. That makes sense. It's like, to me, it almost sounds like a day hospital, like in that sense, like a scholarly day hospital that with like glue sticks and glitter, if that that's how I imagine this. Or when you were describing it, that's how I was putting it together in my head. And I was like, that sounds dreamy because um, here in South Carolina, we have, um, to my knowledge, we have three, three settings that are kind of similar. We've got... Um, uh, a location down um, in the low country, like Charleston, um, like just just the low country down by the coast. <clears throat> there's a place up in um, Greenville, and there's a small program here in Columbia that I'm most familiar with, and it's affiliated with the therapy place. Um, shout out to the therapy place. They're doing amazing work, and they have a day program called Bridges for two years to six years of age, where they have... OTPT and speech on staff, there's no nursing and they have um, a special education director and they have like one-to-one aides. And oftentimes the aides are individuals that are planning on pursuing um, uh, a degree in allied health or, you know, like pre-med, something of that nature. So like OTPT speech, like undergrad students, um, something of that nature. But um, it's, it, it's, close, but it stops at six. And, and that's the thing is, I mean, we're, we're in the state capital and we don't have, we don't have those opportunities. And, um, and, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that by not having these opportunities for our caregivers, it holds the caregiver's and the families back from reaching their personal, social, emotional, and financial and professional goals. And, and it's, and this is not a political statement, folks. So everybody take your politics and put them aside, but it's the same as not having um, daycare covered. I mean, uh, we were, I honestly felt like working poor when we were spending $1,200 a month in daycare so that I could go to work. My daycare when the kids were littler was more than our mortgage payment. And that was for me to go to work. And at one point in time, my husband turned to me and he was like, baby, he was like, honestly, we may want to consider you not working because you, you know, we, we spend almost as much as your salary, but, um, I am not cut out to be a stay at home mom. I, um, no <laughs> hats to you if you are, but, um, <laughs> not for me. It's hard. These families don't have to make that decision because it is, you know, that's when I say it's a Medicaid facility. So, I mean, 
that's the one thing I think that if you have private insurance, they don't pay it. But um, it it is um, it's great. That's all the the ones that I, I get kind of when it goes into the insurance stuff, I get a little, you know, confused on that. But um, but that's like the first time I was like, so only kiddos with Medicaid can do this, and 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 yeah, that's it is because it's a state thing, and um, that's just the way it is, and. But it's still fantastic for the kids that are there because I'm going to have to FaceTime you one time and just kind of walk you through these places because they're happy and these kids are happy. And and mm-hmm. an, another benefit that even that one of my girls was telling me is they basically being able to provide therapy on it's kind of like, you know, most most natural environment, obviously, but um, on their time, you know, because okay, the kiddos go down for a nap at so-and-so, let's go ahead and get them, get them before that. Or we can see them communicate and interact with their kiddos at lunchtime and address their feeding at lunchtime with the other kids. So it's pretty fantastic. And then we can even be in there with the nurses and go, okay, when this child is doing this, sit the other child in front of them, you know, get their high chairs, because obviously a lot of them have medical needs, so they can't sit too close. But, um, you know, get them to where they can watch each other, where our kiddo that is really struggling with one, this one area of feeding, let him watch his buddy and, and learn from each other. I mean, there's such sweet friends in there, and it's just so fun to watch them during those times. And then giving those opportunities for communication together. If they all have some, you know, AAC devices, getting there, go, okay, during this activity, let's get those devices out and give them opportunities to communicate with each other and then the nurses are pretty they're so they're so fun because they're learning from it too because nurses don't come out of school going oh I know what an AAC is no no I mean it's I mean we're kind of I feel like we're benefiting them too because we're able to you know impart some wisdom on them too in art from our area so I mean it's just really a fun place they're they're all three fun places and and that that they're run with the kid focused. I mean, they just, all those nurses, those kids. I love how organically we go from PFD to AAC because they are so like intimately intertwined and like inevitably, like if you have a kiddo that has a PFD, they probably would also benefit from, and it's like, it's, but ah, yes. Yes. Also, I really think that we should be doing, okay, folks, this is just me putting a dream in the universe. I really think that as a profession, we should start doing more in-services into the nursing programs, especially for what you said. And like reaching out to like our local colleges and universities for like, um, like the pediatric geared nurses to talk about this is what a PFD is and, and this is how it can manifest and how you may see it. Also, how cool would it be? I'm dreaming big here. How cool would it be? Because that would be another buy-in for getting the rat card, the six questionnaire screener, the PFD screener from Feeding Matters. Like we could get buy-in with some of the nurses that way. Like, hey, this is a great tool to catch this. And, oh, by the way, do an AAC in service with them because we're saving patients that we didn't see and have tech that technology or tech that we didn't see like 20 years ago. Just some thoughts. Yes. Yes. Thoughts. I mean, our, head, our heads kind of start, you know, going, going all over the place. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm literally going, oh, we can do this and we can do this and we can uh-huh. do this. And then we got to rein our step, ourselves uh-huh. in. Like, we can uh-huh. actually physically do. But, but it's, you know, in that respect, you know, these kiddos, because that right card by, by Feeding Matters is phenomenal. 
and we need, I need to get more out in the community and give them to all the doctors. And, and because as we know, we'll have kids here. I go with PFD. I can't not talk about it, but um, you know, I have kiddos come to us, you know, three, four years old on a bottle. And because if their doctor was saying, are they feeding well? Yeah, they're doing good. Okay. Moving on. So they could be doing quote good, you know, to their parents because, but you know, they don't feel like they can talk to them, you know, and say, well, maybe this isn't a problem, but, you know, let's step into a PPAC and the mom may say, oh, they're doing fine. And then the nurses say, okay, well, let's see what our diet is. And they're a four-year-old just on a, a bottle and they come to us and go, this isn't right, right? You know, so, you know, then we can get these kiddos to go, okay, what's going on here? What, what has, what, what's, you know, why are we not doing more? Why have we not caught this before? And in the, all the physicians, you know, defense, they're busy, you know, they have to ask specific questions. We, you know, I know that the world of that and um, they see weight gain and it's, they don't see it as a problem if the parents are saying they're doing fine. So BMI is moving up and we're, um, which folks, a BMI is not an indicator of how that child's actually being nourished. So pull that with a, a complete metabolic panel and actually like get in there and take a peek at how that kid is doing and then get back to us. But okay. Well, what we, y'all, Melissa sent the most detailed questions and then we've gone 400 different directions, but, um, what, what additional challenges do you guys run up against? Like what, what other barriers do y'all have? I think like I was saying, one of the big barriers, barriers is not seeing parents as much. Um, however, like I was saying earlier, we, we take that barrier and go, okay, we're going to communicate through the nurse and say, these are the things we need to do. And then we can tell the parent that way. A lot of my girls, even my, the therapist in uh, Meridian, she calls, she makes calls to parents a lot. So these, these struggles and challenges that we're facing, we try to, you know, to the best of our ability, you know, we try to, to, you know, defeat that in a way. Um, but so we try to stay in contact. Sometimes we had tried to write little notes to parents on this is what your child did. These are th- some things to do at home. But as we know, we get busy and we go and we tell nurses, this is what we need to do. So, um, you know, we try to visit and, and make some calls at least here, you know, periodically to check in with, with the therapist. I'm, I'm sorry, with the parents. Um, at, with anything, you know, these nurses are phenomenal, but they also get busy just like we do. So that can be a challenge in and of itself too, because carryover may be a little bit, a little bit limited. I mean, they're having to check all the medical situations on these kiddos and they're like, hey, did you do, you know, X, Y, Z that we asked you yesterday? No, they ran out of time. You know, always have to, you know, be in their defense and going, they have a lot going and they do, you know, to the best of their ability, they, they really do to try to do as much as us, but their head is not exactly where ours is. You know, if we're like, you didn't do so-and-so during feeding, well, that's where our head goes, not them. So, um, you know, we try to, we take these challenges. Again, I have some fantastic therapists in there and they really do a great job on trying to go, okay, well, they were busy today. Let's revisit that tomorrow. So, I mean. But that's, but that's caregiver coaching. That's what we do. And, and that's, that's, that's the piece is when we're going in and we're working with truly coaching the caregivers, it's what is your stress? Where are you on your, I mean, like 
backtrack. We have a family motto and I'll tell the boys and I'll tell, I'll tell my Mr. Dawson, all right, this is the drown day for mommy. And when it's a drown day, like I am completely slammed from the moment I open my eyes to the moment I close my eyes at night. And, and we kind of go through, okay, well, mom needs to learn about balancing your plate, but I mean, alas, all moms do, right? I know I'm not alone, but when your caregivers are having a drown day, that may not be the day to overwhelm them with 14 additional strategies, but that's where us learning current evidence-based practice, but also really focusing on that counseling component. And y'all, there is a new special interest group and God help me, I think it's special interest group 21 or 20. It's in the twenties now through ASHA. And it's specifically on counseling, which I think is phenomenal that that's finally we have a specific group for that because that's this, that's your therapist having the emotional intelligence to go in, read the room, recognize that the nurse who is the primary caregiver for maybe 10 hours out of a 24 hour cycle is in a drown day moment and being able to scale back her asks to meet where they are. That is a very fine skill that not all of us are graced with right out the gate. And we learn, myself included in that. But yeah. Mm-hmm. It comes with confidence too, as as we know. I mean, it's just the more years we're in this, we become more confident, competent, and then confident. So, you know, I, again, I, I can't speak enough about the girls I have in there right now. I mean, they just are doing fantastic. And they are able to, like you said, you come out and you're like, okay, one of our biggest jobs is communicating to the caregiver appropriately and telling them exactly, you know, what needs to be done in a realistic manner and and knowing how to gauge that from child to child. You know, what you ask of, of for one child is going to be different from the next. And what you ask of one child is obviously going to be different from the next because whether it be the the medical situation or the home environment, we have to set these kids up for success and we have to set up the caregivers for success. So we can't ask too much of them. And that's because again, you know, going back to these, these phenomenal, you know, nurses, if we ask so much of them that it overwhelms them from doing their, their day-to-day medical responsibilities, they're going to shut down and not do it. So just like with parents and they'll feel defeated. And, you know, like we were talking about with parents, you know, putting a realistic expectation on parents in the homes, if we tell them unrealistic things to do there and they can't do them, they're going to feel defeated. Yes. And then they don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're supposed to build trust. And that's, that's part of the trauma informed care. This is the term that Aaron uses. I knew I was going to get there, but yes. Empower those parents, empower those caregivers. And it's so fun when we'll go into the, um, the PPEX and go, hey, Melissa, I did so-and-so, you know, because I will go, the one here in Starkville, I'll kind of go in more, a little bit more. Um, but uh, look what this kiddo's doing. He's drinking from a straw. Or, you know, they get so proud of themselves. And, and you know, here's this phenomenal nurse that is caring beautifully for all these children. And then they'll, you know, pull me to the side. Look what he's doing. Look what he's eating. I mean, so they just get so proud. They're like little parents, too. I mean, you can't not be a, you know, feel like a parent during the day if you have a kid for almost 10 hours a day. So, I mean, and they just get so much pride in their 
accomplishments that it just makes me want to cry sometimes. I mean, they're just these, again, I just can't say enough about these PPEX that, I mean, they're just a beautiful place. They really are. And, and, and we're blessed to be in them. I'd love to be in more just because I love to just watch it. I mean, I just, it's just fun to see these kids that would otherwise be at home and be, you know, just isolated, socially isolated. The parents are isolated I mean, everything about these kiddos has usually been isolated. I mean, because when I was way back when treating I mean, in the homes, because it was way back when, uh, I, these kids never got out. It sometimes wasn't safe for them to get out, but also parents would get so many questions and they would just rather stay at home. So it's so cool to see all these kids in one place and having fun. Okay, so I have three questions. One. Do they, two questions. One, do they offer like, like support groups, like mom moments or like, you know, like they drop their babies off at school and then they're going to have like a coffee hour once a month with like an in-service because that to me would be like a phenomenal opportunity. And two, what happened to the PPEX during COVID? Um, okay. That's a good question. So first, um, unfortunately, I've not heard of any parent support groups. However, I think a lot of the parents probably probably run into each other when they're picking their kids up um, and, you know, maybe chit chat. And I, I know some of them that are good friends, you know, so but it needs to, you know, just like with with everything, I would love to have more of a, a um, more involvement on getting these parents together. Um, OK, I have a, I have a solution. I have an idea. One, and I just learned about this like a month ago. I didn't know about this beforehand. Well, two months ago. Um, National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders, they have a free um, pediatric feeding group Zoom once a month. It's on a Thursday. It's NFOSD. And you can find them um, um, online. And um, oh, I don't have to call them back. Um, you can find them online on their Instagram account and it has a link. And what happens is they'll have pediatric SLPs. Um, Donna Edwards, who's board certified specialist in swallowing disorder. She's an ASHA fellow. Um, Donna is just a ray of sunshine um, and just moved to Florida. Very excited for her. She was very excited. She's like, I'm not going to have to deal with snow anymore. But um, like Donna tends to be one of the, um, the, um, what is it called? Hostess, like the hostess of the meetings. So they give guidance, but they don't give advice. Right. And, and which is a very fine line. Cause I volunteered once and this was a very fine line to, to walk. Right. But it's free. Um, and, and you know, the power of two. Yes. Okay. But that, but I didn't know that like, it's really cool to have like that face to face interaction on the zoom. So it's NFOSD. But also, if you're listening, folks, I know Melissa knows this, but Feeding Matters has the power of two program where one caregiver can mentor another caregiver and they partner you through your state and it's it's all volunteer as well. So then some people want that face-to-face -face connection that a Zoom will give and some want a phone call or a voice on the other side that, you know, the power of two can give. So you've got, you got options. Okay, now tell me about the covid Okay, not so, the COVID, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the things about the COVID that was they remained open. Thank the Lord, they remained open with many, many, many um, uh, universal precautions in place. PPEs. I mean, it was 
very specific on, you know, they had to have the mega masks on anybody that worked there. Um, they all had vaccines that were um, treating and, and nurses and um, they probably, they didn't get the kids real close together. I don't think. Um, but I mean, how can you really keep little ones apart? It's impossible. Um, but they remained open for the most part. Um, if I remember correctly, I don't even remember if they closed at all. Um, maybe they did very initially, but I don't think they did. Um, they were open throughout it. So it's, it was great. But again, masks were very, very in place. And I think even at one point we were wearing, um, some gear. So, um, yeah, some even more than, than masks and maybe a face shield too. So, um, but they remained open. That was beautiful because these kids, I'll be honest, you know, when it comes to different home environments, as we know, sometimes when they're getting the most medical care they re they'll receive throughout the day you know, whether it be all the correct medications. So it can be detrimental for a kiddo not to come because they'll even see it like on Mondays when kids come back, they're like, their reflux is out of control, probably because we haven't had meds. So, um, you know, throughout the weekends, that's a struggle, but we make do and we accommodate. And, and it's the, it's a big, you know, big picture of IPP. I mean, it's, huge interprofessional practice. I, we are able to, like we're saying, we are able to be with, you know, work with these nurses, with PTs, OTs. And what's great about the nurses, they can help make these referrals too. I wanted to throw that in there. Mm -hmm. Yep. So if we say, hey, this kiddo really needs a follow-up swallow study. If we can't really get it done, you know, with the doctor, these doctors around here are great about, you know, referring, but they'll make those calls. So um, yeah, I mean, they're just, and that's unique. So folks, nursing license, also like dental hygienist license, varies state by state. So in some states, nurses have more in their license and in their scope of practice than in others. And I didn't know that until um, about the dental hygienist until um, uh, our, our, our dentist retired. Dr. Jackson retired. I was devastated. I liked him. He had a grandson with autism and he and I would always talk shop like while I was there getting my teeth cleaned, which consisted of me doing like gestures and grunts because, you know, he's cleaning my teeth, but like all the things. But his hygienist was, um, he'd hired a new hygienist from Texas, maybe. She was a military bride, so she had just come in from another base. And she was talking about like the variations in her license and scope and how she could give recommendations in whatever state she came from that she hadn't gotten used to not being able to give that in our state. So like you were saying, the nurse can, so it's important. So if you have a PPEC or a, a kissing cousin, like a, a, a situation similar, you might want to seek to understand what is the scope of the caregivers that are there in the facility so that you can best engage in IP. And that's perfect. And, and, um, you know, one thing to add when it comes to the nurses, they have to have pediatric experience. So that is one thing that that is a benefit, but also sometimes a challenge because and I know in our area, finding pediatric nursing nurses are hard because, again, we don't have a pediatric hospital. The closest one is two hours away. So, um, you know, so and we have to be pediatric therapists, too. So each therapist like I can't, you know, if I hire a, a speech pathologist from that's been in the nursing home and doesn't have any pediatric experience, I can't place her in one of the PPECs. They have to have pediatric, at least one year of pediatric experience. It's great. I mean, there's just so many benefits. And and, and again, going back to what you said, to be able to make referrals is, is to help with referrals is, is just another 
another benefit. So. Okay, I have one last question, and well, two last questions. But do you find that engaging within the framework of the PPEC that you have easier access to the patient's medical records mm-hmm. than when you did? Yes, yeah, yes, absolutely. Because you know they have. I know the one in Meridian, they have a huge chart. The one in Meridian and Star, well, I think they all do. They have huge charts, basically, that they keep in their um, in their office, basically, for each child. I mean, they're thick. They're obviously thick. So you can flip through there and go, okay, here's his plan of care. Here's all of his records. And they can access the, um, the medical records from the hospital, too. They can get online and do that, too. So it's, um, yes, so that answer is definitely, because as we know, when we're doing, you know, an evaluation with our kiddos here at the clinics, it's up to the parents to give us that information, and that's unfair to them. They aren't supposed to know all the big terminologies and and what exactly was said during a swallow study or exactly was done, what, what procedure was done, what surgery was done. They are already overwhelmed. So, Yes, it's fantastic in there because we can go, okay, can you give me those records so I can flip through them and read everything that's happened? So it's it's great. It's definitely helpful. You and I could talk for hours. Good Lord. Okay, so is what, what parting words of wisdom do you want if somebody's interested in working in a PPEC or like me sitting here thinking, how can we establish a PPEC or just like final thoughts? I wish I could say I knew how to establish a PPEC, you know, because that's more of the the people who own those. I would love it if, you know, I knew all that. But I guess looking and finding for the, you know, finding any of them, looking if there are PPECs in your state um, and for any therapist who's thinking about treating in one, do it. I mean, it will bless your heart. It will bless your soul. You will just want to, I mean, I know myself, I've wanted to cry when I went in there and when I, when I, every time I go in there, because they are just such sweet kiddos and such, it's just a good, sweet group. And you're able to see these nurses that love on them and everybody just coming together as a team. So if in doubt, do it. It's challenging because these kiddos, yes, they are medically complex. Their diagnoses are long. They're, um, they're just super complex. The, the children are challenging. The therapy is challenging, but as we know, it's rewarding and it's just, it's my passion. So, you know, it's do it, please do it. We need some phenomenal therapists in the PPEX. So, um, but that's it. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. Oh my it. gosh. Pick a topic, come back. Let's do another one. Table is open. My microphone is open. <laughs> I'm a new microphone and um, I'm going to text you a picture in a little bit of, of myself. You know, this has been special. I probably have an imprint of my desk, like on my, my um, stomach, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you edited that from your hoo-hahs. <laughs> You know, you got you to do what you got to do. But I'm going to send you a picture and you go, wow, that was impressive. That awesome. My lower back hurts a little bit later. Thank you for having me. Yes. Also, folks, I just have to say, she literally has the prettiest keyboard I've ever seen. And I've been looking at it over her shoulder. One, it's set to look and feel like a typewriter. But two, it looks like a pretty makeup palette. And so like. Please it's send fun. a picture of the keyboard too. <laughs> it's fun, you know, because we got to have fun when we're typing because we have to type on our own. So, uh, 
Thank you for having me, Michelle. I appreciate you. Thank you, lady. All right, folks, um, be sure to check us out at um, uh, First Bite Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook. You know, we love it when um, you spread kind words on the uh, First Bite Podcast reviews on Apple Podcast. Uh, and and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if you have any extra love money left over this month, uh, Melissa and I would greatly appreciate if you'd um, donate your time, your um, talents, or your monies uh, to Feeding Matters. And um, that would I would consider that very much a wonderful 40th birthday present. So huzzah, cheers for 40. May the wine be strong, the Botox be gentle, and the hair gel stick. Happy birthday. Thanks, <laughs> lady. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep Monday through Monday, actually, as well. Here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures. All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also 
receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that a webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders, that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks y'all. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in today's podcast do not reflect the organizations associated with the speakers and are their views and opinions solely. Thank you.